We celebrate the risen Lord every Sunday here. It's not something unique to Easter for us. It's, it's who we are. It's what we do week after week after week. We come together and we declare Jesus is alive. He's risen. He's at the right hand of God. And yet on this Sunday, we set this Sunday apart to focus on the resurrection, to think about the resurrection and what it means for our life. And so we are thankful to be able to do that today in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 30. I'm just going to read verse 30 to begin our time together. So if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word at this time. God has been kind to us, not to, not to leave us in the dark wondering uh, who he is or, or what he would require of us as our creator. He has been very clear about that in his word. And today we hear from his, him and his word from Acts chapter 13. Hear verse 30, this profound, this life-giving, this uh, powerful, glorious reality in which all the cosmos hangs on. But God raised him from the dead. Oh God, I pray that that truth would pierce us. It would open us up. It would lay us bare. We would understand that we are desperate before death. But Jesus is Lord over death. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Is everything sad going to come untrue? This is one of the most powerful statements when trying to communicate what Easter is all about, the resurrection. And, and I actually find myself saying that line over and over when I'm in a difficult circumstance or when I'm with folks in the church who are walking through difficulty, I will say that phrase to myself. I will repeat that question. Is, is everything sad going to come untrue? Those are actually words from a hobbit, if you didn't know. Uh, Sam Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. Gandalf, the hobbit's leader, early on in the story, dies. He's separated from the group. And at the end of the story, after Frodo and Sam return the ring to Mount Doom, now I'm not a fictional reader, so I'm, I'm struggling here, but they return the ring and everything's destroyed, everything's been, or the ring's destroyed, everything is being made new. The, Gandalf is reunited with the hobbits at the end. And Sam is there sleeping from exhaustion, the story of the book, the story of, if you've seen the movie doesn't know if he's awake or asleep, and he sees Gandalf, his leader, who had died earlier in the story. And his words were, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come on untrue? What has happened to the world? And the whole scene there in the book, in the story, it is meant to shake us and cause us to wonder at, at, at this hope that everything bad, everything bad that had happened, all of the despair, all of the disaster, to, to, to wonder and hope in the reality that that could be reversed somehow. 
that everything sad could come untrue, like a bad dream. It's the same sort of feeling you have when you wake up from one of those dreams, that you are thankful it's untrue. For, for me as a pastor, I, I constantly have this dream, this nightmare, that I'm standing before people, and I don't have any sermon notes, and I don't have a Bible, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to... I have clothes on, but, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to be saying, who I'm speaking to. And, and when I try to speak, I can't. Nothing comes out. And it's terrifying for me. And, and I, that moment when I open my eyes and realize, it's not true. I didn't make a fool out of myself. And all of that frustration and anxiety, the relief from that, the joy in that. And we all have those dreams. We have those dreams. Maybe something bad happens in your family. Something bad happens to your kids. Maybe you incriminate yourself in your dream and you, you ruin your life and, and you are anxious and you are in despair and you wake up and, and you realize it's not true at all. That overwhelming sense of joy that everything sad could come untrue. And it's exactly what the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ were experiencing three days after His crucifixion. That These disciples who had walked with Him, who had trusted in Him as the leader, as the Messiah, as the ruler, as the King, their teacher and their friend, had been taken from them, unjustly accused and executed. Many of them followed behind as he was beaten by professional executioners, the Romans, in the streets of Jerusalem. And just a couple of them followed, followed him to the cross. And as he was crucified, his blood splattered on their face. And they saw him gasp for air. They saw him scream in agony. And they watched as the Romans took his limp, lifeless body off of a piece of wood, powerless. Their, their leader, their teacher, their king, dead. And then, three days later, they're gathered in fear that the same thing may happen to them. John tells us for fear of the Jews, they had the door locked. And all of the sudden, Jesus walks in the room. And in that moment where they see those eyes that they had seen before, in agony, they see the power of their king back from the dead. And in that moment, the last three days become untrue, like a bad dream, even though it's real. Every sad thing that they had experienced all of a sudden is replaced with joy and hope and delight as they see their master back from the dead. And this is the truth Paul begins to talk about in Acts chapter 13 and verse 30. Throughout Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching to a group of Jews. He's preaching to a group of Jewish proselytes in a synagogue on his first mission trip. 
and he's describing to them how God throughout history has always been a savior. He has always been saving his people. That's what God's been doing. And when he comes to his people to save them, what do his people do? They kill him. But then what does God do? Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. What powerful words. These seven English words, all history, all reality, the universe hangs on the fact that Jesus, the one who all things were created for, through, and by, for his glory, he is back from the dead. And in coming back from the dead, notice verse 31. For many days he appeared to those who had come up from Galilee with him to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. So 40 days, it seems like, 40 plus days after Jesus is back from the dead, he appears to his followers from Galilee. These redneck hicks who had followed him around and, and, and they had followed him almost not even knowing what was going to happen to Jeruse, in Jerusalem, not even try, not, couldn't even figure it out, and they had watched him die, and now he's back from the dead, and who does he go to? These misfit Galileans. And he makes them, Paul says, his witnesses. They're going to tell the world it's true. Jesus of Nazareth is God's Messiah, and he's back from the dead. And he goes to them, and he appears to them. Now, imagine what this would be like. You spent days at the hospital, ICU, with a friend or a family member. And, and you watch them die. You watch them pass away. You help make funeral arrangements for your friend, your family member. You showed up at the funeral home for visitation, and you talked to your friends, you talked to the family members, you greeted everyone. You went to the funeral, you sat through a service, you went to the graveside, you watched them put the casket in a vault, vault it in the ground and lowered, sealed. You watched it all, and then three days later, you're seated for a meal, and that friend shows back up. That's what happened with Jesus. That's how amazing this is. He was sealed in a borrow tomb, and yet he shows up three days later for dinner. That's amazing. And Paul says he has given this to us to be witnesses. And so verse 32, we bring you good news. We bring you this announcement that God promised to the fathers. This has been fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. As also is written in the psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Paul says, we're here to say Jesus is back from the dead, and in, Je in Jesus being back from the dead, God has fulfilled all of his promises. The promises he first made to Abraham and Israel. God told Abraham, all the good I'm going to do in the world is going to come through you. God told Israel, all the good I'm going to do in the world is going to come through you. And now Paul turns to the Jew, the children of Abraham, and he says, that promise is still true, 
And it's coming through Abraham's children. It's coming through you. But it comes through your king, and his name is Jesus, and he's back from the dead. Just like you read in Psalm 2, when God said to David, You are my son, and I have begotten you. That, that, that phrase there is a pronouncement of kingly authority. God said to David, You are going to be the king of Israel, and all of my blessings are going to come through you. I'm anointing you as my ruler, and all of my rule and blessing, kingdom blessings are going to come through you. And what Paul is saying is they came through David, but they came through David's son, Jesus, because Jesus is the one back from the dead. This phrase, behold, you are my son, is the same thing that God said to Jesus at his baptism. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the skies open up and God says, Behold, my son, in whom I'm well pleased. What God is saying of Jesus there is, That's my king. That's the son of David. All my blessings for the world will come through him. And now he said it in an even more vivid way. He raised him from the dead. This is my king in whom all the blessings from the world flow through. And so what God tells these Jews in the synagogue is if you want to experience God's blessings in the world, you've got to come to Jesus. Because only through Jesus does God's blessings flow. Now we think about blessings. And we think about generic good fortune. We think about having enough money to pay our bills, putting some in savings, retirement. We think about blessing... Being at the beach with my fam, my faves, hashtag blessed. It's the way we think about blessing, where we just have everything like I like it. And we stand back, and when we feel good about it, we say, I'm blessed. We put it on the back of our car, blessed. We, we, we're blessed. And a lot of times we don't even know what that means. It's just things are good. Well, what Paul says here is you can only be blessed in Jesus, ultimately. And that God's blessings for you come in flesh and blood. God's blessing for you is a person, and his name is Jesus. The gospel essentially is in a world full of bad kings, including the one you look at in the mirror. In a world full of bad kings who are powerless over sin and death, you have a good king in Jesus. And he has died for you. He has died for your sins. And this good king has proved that he loves you more than any other king by dying for your sins. This good king, Jesus, is a former corpse. Death couldn't stop him. And so nothing will stop him for caring for you. His plans and purposes for you cannot be thwarted. If you want to be blessed, bow before Jesus and be eternally blessed. And Paul continues and he says, to prove this fact that, God, that Jesus is God's king, king, verse 34, and as for the fact he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. They've been passed on to Jesus as God's eternal king. In verse 35, he says, Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. 
For David had served his purpose of God in his own generation. And then he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But whom God raised from the dead did not see corruption. To prove that Jesus is God's king, God's son, God raised him from the dead. And Paul says to these Jews, you've sung these psalms your whole life. Saturday in the synagogue. These psalms that David sung. That, that there's one coming who will be raised up and won't see corruption. You memorized these prophets in vacation Torah school. You, you, you've heard these things before. Your scriptures point to a resurrected king. And so, ultimately, God's king can't be David. Because where's David? David is in the Jerusalem family cemetery. And he is there rotting away. And he has been there hundreds of years rotting away. And yet Jesus is alive and well. God has proven that, that, that Jesus is his king by raising him from the dead. And he says, David served his allotted time. David was blessed, but David's dead. You may be blessed generically, but you'll also die. And without Jesus, you won't be blessed. Your allotted time will come to an end, but Jesus is alive and well and doing great. See, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. That when Adam sinned, God cursed the world with death. Death and decay eat the world alive. And the world as you know it will die off. And as a sinner in the world, someone who's rebelled against God, you are a part of that world that will die off. You will die physically. And ultimately, because your sin against God, you deserve to die eternally. And what Paul is saying here is that ain't what happened to Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't sinful. The reason Jesus is back from the dead and didn't see corruption is because he was not a sinner. His death was only temporary because he wasn't a sinner. When he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? That was only temporary because Jesus wasn't a sinner. Even though if you look upon his death, he was treated as a sinner. He was mocked and he was ridiculed as a common criminal on a trash heap outside of Jerusalem only for those who had rebelled, only for criminals. And they were lifted up on this cross to say, this is what happens when you rebel. This is what happens when you are cursed by God. Jesus hung there. But three days later, those eyelids matted with blood began to move. And that heart began to push blood through that corpse. And those lungs filled with air that passed over a throat, a voice box that was raw from screaming the day before. And those Marks on his back where his skin had been ripped and shredded to pieces, they began to heal themselves. And he got up, and his feet hit the cold floor of the tomb. 
and he stood up and he took the grave cloth off of his head and he folded it and he sat it down and he walked out of the tomb. That really happened. And you know why it happened? Because Jesus wasn't dying for his sin. He is only back from the dead because he was dying for your sin. And God said, yes, it's true. Everything sad about you can become untrue in him. God has proven he had no sin. And his death doesn't tell the story of his sin. His death tells the story of your sin. And like David and everyone else but Jesus, you will live your allotted time and you will die. You will die. We try to push that reality off. And then we walk into the waiting room. And then we walk into the funeral home. And we're full of angst. Because we know what's coming. We know what's coming. It's true, I'm going to die. Those sore joints you have. That gray hair that you find in the mirror and then you quickly find the right color to shade it in. Those senior citizen discounts. It's coming. It's coming. We feel this way when our kids have birthdays, right? Some of you feel that way when those little babies that you held in Sunday school all of a sudden are graduating college and pursuing careers. And we say things like this, where is time going? What is going on? What, how, how does this happen? And, and inside we wish we could turn it back or slow it down, but we can't. Time is going the way of death. And so will you. But those who attach themselves to Jesus, this one back from the dead, this one who has died for sin, this one who will live forever when you believe in him, guess what? A hundred years from now, you will be able to say, my best life is just starting now. When you are in Jesus, he's the only one who's defeated sin and death, and he is the only one who's come back from his coffin. And so Paul says in verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He says, through this man, this backwoods Galilean, a man, you can be free. And he makes reference to the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses here, summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments exist to say God is perfect. God is holy. And it's to say you can't be. You can't be. You can't get to God through the law, through the Ten Commandments. You're probably sitting here today and thinking of several that you have broken. And what, and, and what Paul is saying here is that the freedom that you couldn't get to through the Ten Commandments, through the law, you can now get to through Jesus. The forgiveness of sin. Notice that phrase, forgiveness. It means to be released. It means to be let go. You have a weight of sin upon you. 
God is holy. God is righteous. You are not. You deserve to be banished from him forever and judged. You have that weight upon you. How are you released from that weight? Well, Jesus never sinned. He obeyed the law perfectly. And then Jesus dies for your sin. He, he pays the penalty you deserve for your sin. And so now Paul says, through this man, you can be released. He was caught under the weight of your sin. He was captured by your sin. He was killed by your sin on the cross. And now you can be free and released from your sin. He says that is the message we are preaching to you. That when you believe in Jesus, every sad thing about you becomes untrue. Because every true thing about him becomes true of you. The sad thing about me and you is we are sinners who deserve judgment forever. The true thing about Jesus is he is a loved and accepted son who is obeyed perfectly. And when you believe in him, what, what, what is sad about you becomes untrue and what is true about him becomes true of you. Because he was treated as a sinner, you can be treated as a son. And you can say with freedom and joy, it's true, it's true, I've already been crucified. It's true, it's true, I've already obeyed the law in Him. And He's back from the dead to declare it's true, it's true. All things sad are coming untrue. Think about that. When you believe the gospel, when you trust in Christ, all you have done that would cause you to hate yourself, not just God, but you, it's reversed. And in Jesus, it's not true anymore. It only adds to the joy that you have in Jesus. The, the, those, those sad nights of sin, that when somebody says sinner, and you think, am I a sinner? You think about that moment in your head, that thing that you did. That those moments where you woke up and last night wasn't a dream. It wasn't a dream. You really did that. And you said, I can't believe that I did that. Those seasons in your life where you pushed God away. You didn't want to have anything to do with God. And you rebelled against Him. And you said, I'm going to do it my way. When you believe in Jesus, those things that are sad and true about you become untrue in Him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that glorious? That, that Jesus was treated as a sinner, which is not true of him. All that God would push you away from himself forever was placed upon him, and he pushed his son away in judgment. He was separated from him. He endured the infinite wrath of God that you deserve on the cross. And then when you believe in him, what you deserve has already taken place in him. Every sad thing becomes untrue. But that's not all. There's something even more glorious. You can wake up from those nightmares of sin in your life and say it was kind of just like a bad dream. But it gets even better. It gets even better. You know why Jesus was raised from the dead? Because he was God's son. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, God said, I'm not going to leave my son in corruption and death. And when you're a son in the son, he says the same thing about you. He says, I'm not going to leave you in death. 
I'm not going to let you corrode. I'm not going to let you corrupt. What is true about you is you will die. What becomes untrue about you is eternal death. That's what we're offering you here today, by the way. We don't have to come in and be all cool and hip. And I was dancing a little bit today. He's embarrassed. You saw I got some moves. But we don't have to be all cool and hip today. We don't have to go around saying, you want a new beginning? Jesus gives you new beginnings. It's true. That's true. But guess what that means? There's so much more to it than that. Your 21st century mummified corpse will bust out of a casket one day when you believe in Jesus. Now, you may think that's crazy and insane, but it ain't abstract. And it's relevant. It's the most relevant thing I could say to you today. If you want hope, you one day in Jesus will be a former corpse like Jesus. And you will rule and reign with Jesus. What more do you want to hear? That heart is going to stop beating. Your heart has an expiration date on it. It does. Those lungs are going to deflate. They're going to walk in that room and they're going to pull those cords out of you and they're not going to care what it feels like because you won't feel it. They're going to rip that heart monitor off, which some of you have felt, and, and it hurts, and you won't even feel it on that day. They're going, to, they're going to take all of that out. They're going to zip you in a bag and they're going to take you and put you in an expensive but cheap, gaudy box. And people are going to stand around and say, doesn't he look great? Which ain't true. He's dead. That's what we're offering you here today is that you will get up from that and you will be back from the dead one day. That your worst case scenario, death, isn't your worst case scenario anymore in Jesus. Actually, Paul says it's gain. It's better. The end of the gospel is this. It's not just generic. Have your sins forgiven is real. Believe in Jesus is real. But it gets so practical and flesh and blood real. You will be walking and talking and breathing forever if you believe in Jesus and accept His cross as forgiveness of your sin. We will stand over that box and you will be laying there with clothes you never wore. You never wore them. You didn't want to wear them. They were uncomfortable. But your wife, after your dad, said, I want him to look good one last time. She's going to lay you in that box, and we're going to stand there and look at you. And we're going to point to those eyes if you're in Jesus. And we're going to say, those eyes will open. Those eyes will open one day. Resurrection is an abstract. I will look into those eyes again. That, that hand, I will hold that hand again. That voice, I will hear that voice again. I will. Because of the resurrection, because of the gospel, cancer won't be there. Alzheimer's will not be there. Heart disease won't be there. There will be no more suffering, no more tears. Depression will not be there. There will be laughter and there will be joy coming 
from that body because of Jesus. Because there was an empty hole in the ground outside of Jerusalem. When Jesus breathed in that musty air of that cave and death suffocated. Because of the resurrection, you will be raised and you can sit here today and say, there's another day coming. And on that day, it will be like waking up from a dream. Jesus will spread the sky open and he will speak with a Galilean accent and all that is sad will become untrue. It's true. Jesus is making all things new. Let's pray.